Well, whether you like the sermon or hate it, and it could go either way, I guess, you've got both of my boys to thank. Uh, Brendan less so for the content. Brendan just was careful to remind me, Dad, remember this is, you know, Initiation Sunday or whatever he called it, where the seventh graders come into the youth group, and that was kind of his way of, you know, let's just keep this short, Dad. Go-karts are involved and, and things like that, and so, you know, and pizza and sub sandwiches and, and everything else, and, and, you know, we've got all these pranks and everything and uh, mean things that we've got to do to these seventh graders, and we just need plenty of time. I said, okay. Make a note of that. Brady, on the other hand, helped provide the content. Uh, and it's been several years ago. I just, you know, I don't know. I had, couldn't quite figure out how to work it into a sermon. It seemed like one of those things. And so you just kind of, you know, kind of file it away. But it seemed like it was, I don't know, four, five, six years ago. He must have been in kindergarten or first grade. Or I was pretty young. And we were up here on a Friday night. And Anita was getting ready to teach one quarter. And so we were up there that Friday night before, and we were getting the room ready. I mean, and she had us doing this and this, and I don't I can't remember if we were hanging kites or little cut-out baboons or what we were doing, but we were getting the room all dolled up and everything like that. And, and so in the midst of all of this chaos of construction paper and felt and staples and pizza and everything else, our youngest looks around and he says, you know, someone really ought to take our picture. You know, I didn't think anything of it, and we were kind of busy doing other things. He said, someone really needs to take our picture. I said, well, Brady, why is that? Oh, this needs to be in the bulletin, because we are really serving. And, <laughs> and we tease Brady about that, and I'm sure he's turning bright red now as we speak. But there's something to that, isn't there? There's something to this whole idea of acknowledging and being acknowledged and whether you work or whether you serve, whether you donate, whether you give. And there's just something about sort of acknowledging that somehow that we feel like we need to do, but also sometimes we feel like we need to receive. And it's so interesting as you open up the Bible. And what we're going to talk about this morning, we're going to talk about service and we're going to talk about commitment and different things like that. But if you open up the Bible, one of the things that you see is that the Bible does acknowledge. But the Bible doesn't acknowledge the way that we want to be acknowledged. The Bible doesn't acknowledge the way we think we should be acknowledged. But the Bible does acknowledge. In the passage that was read, the beginning of it talked about whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And that's really the impetus of what we're talking Whatever your hand, whatever it is that you're here to do, whatever purpose that you have, whatever talent that you have, whatever gift that you've been given, whatever opportunity that comes in front of you, whatever that is, do it with all your might. Turn over now to the book of Nehemiah. And we are going to acknowledge, or we're going to allow the Bible to acknowledge somebody in, in, in terms of this. And then we're going to do a little acknowledging here in a little bit as well. But the book of Nehemiah, and if you remember the background, sometime around you know, 585, 586 B.C., the Babylonians came in and they captured Jerusalem and just absolutely destroyed it. Destroyed the temple, destroyed the wall, burned everything. It was just, you know, it was awful. 
And God's people were either taken into captivity, they were deported to other places into captivity, or they just absolutely fled and lived in existence up in the hills and in kind of the the peripheral areas, afraid. You know, segmented, broken off, and that once great nation had now dispersed. And so God's people were in the midst of all of that, but God worked through King Cyrus. And over the span of about a hundred years, through three or four different stages, God's people sort of came back into the Jerusalem area. And God's people sort of came back. It wasn't one big, but they one by one. And through prayer and revelation, ultimately we see Nehemiah enter the scene. And Nehemiah has this great idea, this vision. We need to rebuild the wall. We have got to rebuild this wall. And so he looked at it and he, he prayed about it and he lamented over it. He went out by himself and he inspected and he looked out and he just, we need to rebuild the wall. Come on over to chapter 3. And that's where we're going to find our text. In chapter 3, they list the people that worked on the wall. Not only did they list the people that worked on the wall, but they actually described some of the things that the various people did. You know, we can, you know, go over to, you know, just pick your favorite thing. Let's pick names that we can pronounce. Uh, let's go to verse 5. Moreover, next to him, the Techites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. Okay, they did the repairs. Verse, uh, you know, let's go to verse 7. Next to them, Malaysia, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maronite, and the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah also made repairs for the official seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to him was Azael, the son of Herahiah, and the goldsmiths made repairs. And on and on through chapter 3. And it's kind of a dry read, really, as they describe names and they describe what they did. But what I want you to do is you kind of go through these names, name after name, and and sort of envision. Remember, this is this huge wall that needs to get rebuilt. And it wasn't just any wall. It wasn't just sort of a bunch of bricks just sort of stacked up. I mean, there there was a delicacy to it. There was strength to it. There was a beauty to that wall. It wasn't just a fence. And as we go through the who's who of, of people that worked on it, we get down to verse 20. And there's something very, very special and very, very unique about the gentleman that's described in verse 20. It says in verse 20, after him, talking about the next person, Baruch, the son of Zebai, zealously repaired another section. From the ankle to the doorway of the house of Elishab, the high priest. Fascinating. It's one of only a handful of times the word zealously is used anywhere in the Bible. It is the only time it's referenced to a person doing something. A specific person in what they did. And it's the only person... In this entire list of chapter 3, that actually gets an adverb. You know, everybody else, so-and-so did. You remember how we diagrammed those sentences? Those are pretty simple. So-and-so did. So-and-so did this. We, maybe we had a preposition. We might have had a participle. But there wasn't an adverb. We get an adverb with Baruch. He zealously did this. Now, I have no comprehension. I have no idea in terms of kind of what his piece of this was. 
You know, was, was this, you know, like right there in the middle of everything? Was this kind of around the corner where no one can see? You know, where was this in the wall and just how critical was it? But what I do know is the Bible gives credit for this zealous work. And I want to look at this this morning because there are so many things about Baruch that we don't know. This is the only reference of him in the Bible. This is his only passage. This is his only spotlight. And so all we know is kind of what's written here. So there's a lot of things that we don't know. I mean, we understand the, the, the ginormous undertaking that they were doing. We understand everything that was about it. But there's a lot about this gentleman we just don't know. I don't know if he volunteered or if he got volunteered. You know, I don't know if he came out there and said, yep, I want to build this portion, or if he kind of got nudged by his wife when they were looking for volunteers. and said, Raise your hand. Raise your hand. You, men, you know how that is. Young men, you know how it is when your mom asks you to do that. Raise your hand, boy. You, you can do that. I don't know how it went. I don't know what it means to zealously work. I hope, because I'm starting to really like this Bayrock. I hope it doesn't mean that he whistled, uh, because I'm one of those people. I can't stand whistling, and I can't stand working around people that whistle. That makes me wonder. I mean, I just, I, I, so I don't know if he was a whistler. Somebody got an audience full of whistlers. Oh, boy. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know what he was like. I don't know if he was convicted from the very beginning or if he sort of grew into it. There's so much about him that we don't know. But there are at least five things that we do know about him. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Five things that we do know that we can look, even in that one passage, in the context of the broader scheme of what's going on in the book of Nehemiah. Five things that we understand about Baruch. Number one, Baruch undertook... A daunting task. And we know that because if you look at the entire project of rebuilding the wall, from the very beginning to even up to the end, it was filled with doubt, fear, ridicule, threats, discouragement. Let alone just sort of the, the scope and the scale of what they were trying to do. It was a daunting task. It was not a weekend project. It was not the kind of thing that we would publish in the bulletin and said, all right, we're all going to kind of build this little wall. Everybody show up on a Saturday, you know, where we spend the first three hours eating donuts and the last three hours, you know, having sandwiches. And somewhere in there, we do two hours worth of work. You know how those church projects go. I mean, it wasn't one of those. It was going to be hard work. It was going to be difficult work. But more than just that, it was the fear, the doubt, the ridicule by all the nations that looked down and made fun of them, made fun of the work they were doing, made fun of the wall that they were building. It wouldn't last. You could easily push it over. It was a daunting task. Number two. Barak knew the blessing of zealous work. He knew the blessing of zealous work. You know, I can recall, you know, early on, my dad's commitment to several different things. One of them was I was going to learn the value of hard work. And I can remember 
you know, on numerous times, actually probably only just once, <laughs> I think I thought it a lot more than I said it out loud after the first time, but, you know, and, and as, as we talked about, you know, the, the benefits of hard work and everything like that, and I, and I asked him one day, I said, shouldn't, it, shouldn't this be fun? No, it's supposed to be hard. I said, well, when do we get to the fun stuff? We don't. That's why it's called hard work. And time and time again, his goal wasn't, and, and a lot of us as parents, the benefit, the value, the virtue of hard work. And yet, there is something to that. But there's a blessing that comes from zealous work that doesn't exist for hard work. I mean, there is hard work, but then there's zealous work. And zealous work brings about blessings far greater than just simply hard work. Zealous work involves the nature of the worker. Hard work involves the nature of the work. And they're very, very different. Oh, let's move on. I've got to get you kids dismissed, don't I? Number three. Barak enjoyed the blessing of using his talents side by side with others. Dun, dun, dun. Anyways, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> we don't whistle, we don't it's just time to go, Jim, isn't it? He understood the blessings of using his talents alongside of others. Look at chapter three for just a second. Now, just because he gets the adverb zealously does not take away anything else that was going on at the time. When, and the Bible is so very quick to point out, to list all of the people that are engaged in various activities. And they go time and place and all through this whole thing of all the people that worked together. And we know that somehow he fit in all of that. And he used his talents for his piece. And again, I don't have a sense of if the piece that he was building was sort of from here to here. If it was from here to that wall. I don't know the size of it. But what I do know is there's a chapter full of people named as well as countless others that were involved in this wall and he himself got to be a part of that and he got to recognize and he got to experience the blessing of working alongside of somebody else so that his peace interacts with the peace next to him and the peace next to him into something great which gets us to number four Baruch experienced the wonder of being a part of something bigger than himself. He got to experience being part of something far greater. You know, too many times we get bogged down into sort of the, you know, the very narrow things. And it would be real easy for us. And we do that some. We see people that get that way. I'm sure it never happens here. Where we get so fixated on the piece that we're doing that we don't see just the grander scheme. We don't see something far bigger going on than just the piece that we're looking at. It would be so easy for him just to look at his piece. But you know, one of the things that he had the blessing, he had the, you know, the, the ability to do is to look at this and then to step back. And as he stepped back, he got to see this piece now in the broader context of this and of this. And he was able to step back and then see something far greater than anything just unique to his individual con contribution. And unfortunately, we get that way sometimes. 
where we get so focused on the little piece that we're doing. We get so focused on the, you know, the, what we're doing and, and what we're trying to accomplish, maybe how we're trying to serve and what we're up, up against. We get so fixated on that that we miss everything else. And we get distracted by our little piece. It's gotten to where it is difficult for me at home to take a quick shower. And it's not just because I'm old and, you know, I'm stiff and, you know, I just really can't get the day started unless the whole water heater sort of drains itself through my back. It's not that at all. It's because, I kid you not, this is not funny. It's because in our shower, we, we built our house and, and so we had our house in, and I did the tile work in the shower. And so as I'm in there taking a shower, you know, doing my business and everything like that, I can't help but all of a sudden get focused on my tile work. I mean, it seems very silly. And I'm looking at, well, this, I wish this tile had been just a little bit different. You know, it's, it's off just a hair. There's a sixteenth of an inch here and a thirty-second of an inch there. I'm so focused on the piece that I did. I'm so. In fact, there have been mornings that I've just stood there, you know, kind of looking like a prune at this point, and, and looking at this, going, "Oh, what a horrible tile job! What a horrible thing! I, I just wish I'd done it so very, very different. And if I ever, you know, develop wealth beyond my, uh, you know, beyond my means, and certainly wealth beyond my intellect, I'm just going to, I'm just going to bring a hammer in here, and I'm just going to tear it down and start over. That's foolish. I mean, because everybody knows you shouldn't be stark naked when you're tearing down tile. But I mean, beyond that, it's foolish because we get so fixated on the pieces that we do. We get so fixated on the, our little span and our little, our little thing that, that we miss sight of the great, grand, bigger picture of things that go on. Fifth and finally, Rook got to experience the awesomeness. Of accomplishing something significant by the hand of and to the glory of God. When the wall was finally finished. And I wonder sometimes if he fully appreciated everything. Go over to, um, go over to Nehemiah chapter 7. Excuse me, chapter 6. I wonder if he really fully understood what was happening here, the significance of what was about to take place. Yeah, he saw the wall and the wall was built, but as the wall got built and after it was finished, all of a sudden Jerusalem became whole again. All of a sudden the nation and God's people gathered together again. And all of a sudden those that were scattered came in there, they were protected what was happening was far bigger than just the wall, and it was to the great glory of God. And he experienced all of those blessings. He experienced the blessings, and he experienced the joy, and he experienced all of the wonderful things. But yet, in chapter 3, verse 20, there's only one line for the zealous. It says, Baruch zealously repaired another section. And I look at that and I bring this fast forward thousands of years today. And I think, you know what? 
The church has, the church needs more Bayrooks. We are where we are because of Bayrooks. And so this morning, we're going to finish it out a little bit. We're going to use the same five points, but I want to talk not to the Bayrook of old, but to the Bayrooks of today. And you know who you are. Those of you that work zealously in what you do. Those of you that, that work tirelessly in what you do for the kingdom. And just like Bayrook had one line, I will too have one line for you here in just a minute. If you are a Bayrook today, you understand that you're a part of a daunting task. And you know, it really doesn't matter in which capacity and which avenue and, and, and how you serve. It doesn't matter if you are teaching. or It, does, it doesn't really matter. Whatever you're doing, you have a daunting task. Kingdom work is difficult work some days. There are no real easy jobs anymore, it doesn't seem like. Whether it's the antagonism that we have with the world, whether it's the physical realities of certain things, it's a daunting task. It's a daunting task to send missionaries out in the world. It's a daunting task to go next door and invite someone to church. It's a daunting task to find volunteers on a short notice. It's a daunting task to ask people to give up time. It's a daunting task to do something and really question and wonder if anybody even noticed. It's a daunting task to talk and to pray and to hug and wonder if it ever truly made a difference. If you are a Bay Rook, you know what it's like to be a part of a daunting task. If you're a Bay Rook, you know what it's like to receive the joy of zealous work. And we've got a lot of zealous workers around here. And you can see it in what they do, and you can see it in how they do it, and you can see it on their face. If you have never seen the kids before they come forward and collect the cards, I mean, we got to rein in the zealousy, really, when we're out there in the back. They're zealous about it. Excited for it. I mean, they, they just can't wait to do it. We've got zealous people, you know, you know, handling security for us. I mean, they're crazy zealous. I mean, they got the walkie-talkies, and they've got the code names, and the you know call signs, and everything like that. I mean, they're just waiting for trouble. I mean, they, I mean, they're zealous, they're excited about it. And I don't say that to. Te I mean, we've got to deal with things like that, but they're zealous about it. They take it very, very serious. I walk by and I watch people grade grading assignments for Know Your Bible. And yet there's a smile and there's a laughter, but there's a zealousness. And there's a blessing that comes with that. There's an absolute blessing. There's a blessing that comes by using your talents side by side with others. It's an exciting thing. When we gather together and we work and we do things, and it's so exciting to watch you know, so many of the initiatives in this congregation, 
that leveraged the individual talents of people that much like Nehemiah chapter 3, so-and-so did this, and next to that was so-and-so that did this, and then so-and-so did that. And how wonderful it is to watch that. If you're a Baruch today, you experience the wonder of being part of something far bigger than yourself. You know what it's like to do something seemingly insignificant and small and only to realize, oh, this was a huge thing. Who knew that women walking with God could get so big? Who knew that Celebrate Recovery could become such an influence? Who knew any of that? Who knew that that just simple zebras and leopards and lions... And moving kid from station to station could make such an impact in the lives of a child. You are part of something far bigger and far greater than yourself. Finally, you get to experience the awesomeness of accomplishing something by the hand of and to the glory of God. What a wonderful thing. To participate with, and, and that's, and if you look at the wall, and that's the thing you've really got to understand. This wasn't just a group of people that got together and they, this was ordained by God. This was to the glory of God. God was at work in all of this. And there is something very exciting when we match our zeal with His will, with His will. It rhymed though, but anyways, our zeal with His will. <laughs> To see something great happen by his hand and for his glory. So this morning, if you are a Baruch, if you are a zealous worker, I have one line for you and it's just as simple. The line is thank you. Thank you for the zealous way that you use your talents. To the glory of God. Thank you for the way that you make great things happen in my life and in the lives of others on an individual basis. Thank you for the way that you make great things happen collectively for us as a congregation. Thank you. And my encouragement for everyone else is be zealous. I'm not appealing to your service, I'm not appealing to your commitment. I'm not appealing to your time. I'm not appealing to any of that. I am simply appealing to your zeal. Not for Northside. Yeah, it'll help us out, but for your blessing, for your enjoyment. There is probably, however, no more zealous decision, no more zealous commitment than we can ask this morning. Then are you a child of God? And even though maybe the sermon wasn't one of those that sort of inspires you to become a child of God, I hope that some way it has. And this morning, if you need to become a child of God, if there's anything that we can do to help increase, improve, reinvigorate your zeal with your walk with your Father, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.